Found it. We're good. Uh, before we jump into today's series, quick announcement. So uh, we uh, got our volunteer shirts in. If you ordered a volunteer shirt, um, there we are asking for $11, but as we said before, uh, if you can't afford the $11, just let Nicole know as she's handing those out. What we're going to ask is we, we ordered based on who put an order in. So if you put an order in and you haven't gotten your shirt yet after service, go see Nicole. She'll get your shirt for you. There will be a few extras after we take care of everybody who ordered. So once we know what those volumes look like, then we'll communicate that to the rest of the church. And if you didn't get a chance to put your order in, you can come see what we have left. All right, but if you didn't get your shirt yet and you did order one, please, after service, go and see her. And she'll help make sure everybody gets those. We good on that? Awesome. I hope you guys had a great week. Um, we had a good one. Yesterday was our first day of T-ball, um, which, you know, you wonder why are you teaching them things that are so fundamentally wrong, you know? Like, if you've ever watched T-ball, it doesn't look like baseball at all. The nearest thing to baseball is their uniforms. Nothing else looks like baseball. It's just mass chaos. But it is cute, but I'm not quite sure that cuteness is worth two and a half hours of standing out in the heat trying to make it through. But we did it, we survived, Ty got a couple hits. I didn't go home with too much anxiety, you know, but it was a, it was a good fun day for us. Um, it was funny though as I was watching it, is it made me think about how something can be something but not be that what it really is supposed to be, right? That, that t-ball really is not real baseball. There's elements of it that look like it. And if you saw them dressed up in their uniforms and you watched a couple glimpses here and there, you might be thinking it was baseball, but it's not. And I was thinking about this series as we're going through Habakkuk. And in many ways, Habakkuk is addressing the real mentality you have to have as an actual disciple of Christ. And the reality is, to us as we listen to it, it's crazy. Because there's so many of us who, we're not living this way. We call ourselves Christians. We say that we are the servants. We say that God is our King and that He is our Lord. But the reality is in our day-to-day -day walk, we are not actually going to Him in the right way. In fact, in many ways, we've completely reversed the relationship where we think it is us who is control. We think it is God who is there to serve us. And it is because of this that we continually find stress, in our relationship with God. And so in the book of Habakkuk, we see this prophet talking not to the people, which is what we normally see with prophets, but instead talking to God. And what he's really crying out to him is he's saying, God, do you see what's happening? Do you see what's happening to me? Do you see what's happening to your people? Where are you? Are you going to do something? Are you going to act? And so to recap, this is our second sermon in it, and so let me just kind of catch everybody up who may have missed last week. We talked about a few key things. We talked about a couple of verses that I said were key to the series. Okay, the first one that is key to the series is in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. In Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, it says this. It says, for my thoughts, God's thoughts, are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my way, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's point, I'm God, you're not. 
I am all-knowing, I am ever-present, I am all-powerful, I am without flaw, I am without weakness, I am the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of the universe. I say it happens. You're none of those things. Yes, you were made in my image, but you were made from the dirt of this earth. Your flesh is flawed, it is weak, you cannot be everywhere, you make mistakes, you are hungry, you are broken, you are weak. We are not the same. So don't think you will understand everything that I do. You know, last week I kind of shared with you, it's like trying to explain to your toddler some of the life decisions you have to make. They're just not there. You could sit there all day long and try to explain some of the things that you have to decide as an adult, and their brains just are not going to comprehend one, what you face, or two, why you handle it the way you do. That is God's point to us. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. I am here. You are here. We are different. The second thing that's key to this whole series is in Mark 2.17. It says, And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So why are these two verses so important throughout this series? They're important for two reasons. One, they establish the right mentality for you to even begin a relationship with God. For you to truly begin a worthwhile relationship with God, what you must understand is, He is God and you are not. And because of that difference, you go, I fall on my knees and go, I need you. God, I can clearly see who you are and what I know is, I am not you, you are better, you are holier, you are purer, you are more loving, you are more gracious, you are more everything than me. And because I know you are more than me, I know I need you. And so these two verses first describe the mentality that's even necessary to start the relationship with God. And then you know what? They're also important for how you continue the right relationship with Him throughout. Because there is this thing that happens to us. Where all of us, at some moment in our lives, if we call ourselves a Christian, fell on our knees and say, I need a Savior. Amen. God, I'm sick. The sin has eaten me up. I can't do this on my own. I need you. But you know what starts to happen? We get churched. We get churched and we start saying the right things and we start praying more. And we only listen to K-Love now. Well, every now and then some old songs, but mainly K-Love. And I'm better than my neighbors, and I give to the hungry, and I do the food bank, and I go to Sunday school, and I'm at Wednesday nights, and I pray, and I got a fish on the back of my car. Right? I'm better than most people that I walk around with. And that's what you start to think. And the moment that happens, you stop realizing you need Him. Amen. And what you start ending up doing is going, these people need Him. My, do I know some folks that need some Jesus? And what you're not saying is, you need them. The other thing that starts to happen is you start to go, I'm figuring this out. God, I got a great plan. Hey, hey, God, you take this one off. I got the plan. If you could just provide the things I need to make it happen, I got this. And you should never forget these two things. No matter how churched you get, no matter how much you know your Bible, no matter how much good things you do, you will always be a sinner. You will always be below God. You will always need Him to drive. And you will always need to realize He is the doctor and you need Him. The moment you forget those things, the relationship breaks. The relationship breaks. 
And as Christians, I think the thing that gets harder is, as you start to bring God more and more into your life, what you realize is there's no boundaries for Him. I laugh nowadays because as Christians, we like to like talk about, like, well, you don't talk about politics at church. Well, you, you, know, you don't really want to talk about, like, home life at church, right? We start sectioning off things that, like, oh, that's difficult. If you talk about that, it's going to offend people. So don't do that. And I'm like, guys, this book, this God, he goes, I'm God of everything. Everything. I'll tell you how to use your money. I'll tell you how your sex life should be. I'll tell you how your marriage should be. I should, I'll tell you what you should watch, what you should listen to, what you should be doing with your hobbies, what you should be doing with your time. Anything and everything that involves you, I am God of. There is no off limits for him. And so the problem with that becomes is in some areas of your life, you're all too willing to go, God, you got this. I can't figure this one out, man. It's yours. But there are other areas where you're like, eh, I want to hold on to this. You know, why, why don't you stay out of this area, God? And the reason you do that is because in those areas, typically God is asking you to do things that are hard. Either hard to understand, either hard to do, or emotionally, you just don't get them. And so that's why we've created a different kind of God. We've created the soft, cuddly God that's my backup plan. We've created the God that's there to bail me out of trouble. Well, there's the God who's just going to forgive whatever I do. And in that, what we've missed is the Lord who's supposed to be there every day to guide us and to lead us. Amen. And so Habakkuk is really learning about these two things. Habakkuk, God's ways are not your ways. So last week, as we jumped into chapter 1, we covered a few things. Habakkuk basically starts out in a place that I think anybody who's been a Christian for a period of time has been. And that's him sitting around going, do you see what's happening, God? And so to recap the historical things, what's happened to Habakkuk is this. The nation of Israel has been devastated. It's been divided into two different nations. And in one of those nations where Habakkuk lived, there was a mini-revival. A good, holy, and righteous king came in and said, You know what? We need to get back to doing what we used to do. We need to worship God. We need to submit to Him. We need to read Scripture. We need to pray. We need to get right. And so the nation starts to come back a little bit. And Habakkuk, he's excited about this. He's excited, like, man, we were on the wrong path. We got a little bit of spark here. I think God's fixing things. And then what happens? That king dies. And his replacement comes in and is actually worse than all the guys before. And so the worst thing ever happened to Habakkuk. Hope. He was in the darkness, saw a light, and thought, I'm going to get out of this. We're going to be revived. And then all of a sudden, it got darker than it was before. And that's where we find him. And he's crying out to God, and he's saying, God, where are you? How long will you sit and watch this? Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And so the whole first part of Habakkuk teaches us a couple things. One, be real with God. So I told you, don't lie to God. It's silly. He knows your thoughts. He knows what you're facing. He knows what you're going through. Lying to him doesn't keep any knowledge from him. It only creates distance between the two of you. Amen. When you lie to God or you don't put things at his feet, what that shows is your relationship is not how it should be. It's like when you're both mad at each other in a relationship, but you won't argue. It's not healthy. Amen. You can say, well, at least we're not fighting. No, you should be fighting. 
Because at least if you're fighting, what you're being honest with is this is where I'm at, something's not right, and I can't live with this not being right. And so what Habakkuk shows us is, well, his anger isn't justified. It's good that he looks at his father and goes, here's where my heart is, God. Here's where it is. Let me just bear it out before you. The second beautiful thing we see in Habakkuk is, is well, you're real with God. God listens. So no, not only are you going to be honest with Him, but He's listening to you. The most amazing thing to me about all of Scripture is not what God does for us, but that this perfect, almighty, and loving God is so obsessed with you and me. That as messed up as we are, as flawed as we are, as many times as we betrayed Him, ignored Him, and put Him aside, He's still there going, I'm listening to you, child. If you ever want to talk, I will be there. And throughout all of Scripture, you will continually find these moments where people think, no one understands what I'm going through. Nobody knows this pain. Nobody knows this hurt. I'm all alone. And God will go, child, I know everything. I know it better than everyone. I have been paying attention to everything that's been happening. Don't think I haven't been listening. I have. He's always listening. So we have the duty to be real with him. We need to know that he always listens. And then the third thing we we started to talk about is understand that though he listens, he acts in his own way. And this is where it gets hard. This is where we got to fall back on what's this relationship with God. It's not a partnership. It's not me telling him what to do. It's him leading, me serving. And so even when I'm confused, I still go, yes, sir. Yes, Father. I'm with you. And so what Habakkuk starts to get into here, and this is where we're going to dive in today, is Habakkuk complains. God speaks to him. And at first Habakkuk is like, this is great. But then God explains to Habakkuk what he's going to do. And that's where Habakkuk goes, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Thanks for listening. I'm glad you care. But what's your plan? Run that one by me again? Because that's not the plan I would have come up with. And so that's where we jump in today. So grab your Bibles, Habakkuk chapter 1. We're going to be verses 5 through 11. So verses 1 through 4. Habakkuk's crying out, there's no justice, our nation's hurt, God answers. Verse 5, look among the nations and see wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swift to devour. They all come for violence. All their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. So let me translate this to today. Imagine you and I crying out to God and going, God, where the heck are you? Where are you? Do you see our country? We're divided at each other's throats. Everywhere you go, there are protests and violence. 
We hate each other because of politics. We hate each other because of race. We hate each other because of money. And everywhere we go, you just find people wanting to get angry. There is no love. We kill, we're violent, we're angry, and continually, God, we keep pushing you away. In places where we used to teach about you, we now forbid you. In fact, nowadays, God, we will call sin right and right wrong. And in fact, we're proud of our sin. We carry it out in front, we champion it like it's a good and moral thing, and we squash those that call it sin. Father, we've stripped your name from our laws, we've stripped them from our children's schools, we have pushed you aside because we don't want to hear you. Father, where are you? Father, all around us, nations raise up in violence. We have people who are killing innocent people for no reason other than the hate in their hearts. What are you going to do, God? Where are you? Can you imagine feeling that way? Would that be a legitimate, legitimate thing to say to God? So imagine you said that to God and God shows up and He goes, I hear you, son. I hear you. Everything you said is right. I know it all and I've got a plan. Those words right there, you'd go, thank goodness. Right? <laughs> you heard me. <laughs> I'm complaining. I'm yelling. Trying to get your attention to see what's going on. You've responded and you got a plan. Cool. Here's the plan. I'm going to raise up Iran. And I'm going to use Iran to punish all the people in this country who have decided to turn away from God. This nation that assassinates millions of babies every year and thinks it's nothing wrong. This nation that has divided itself by race and by greed and by money and by politics. I will show them the punishment of that. I will wipe out all of that injustice. I will make sure that that sin is answered. They will come. They will be swift. They will be violent. And it will wipe out everything. And justice will be served. Is there a party that would be like, wait a minute, what? The answer to what I just talked about is you're going to use the Iranians to punish America? I, okay, let's go back. I think you are confused about the problem I brought to you. That was not the solution I was looking for. That's exactly where Habakkuk is. He lists all of these things that are happening in Israel, and he's like, God, do something. And God's like, I am. I'm raising up the Chaldeans. And those Chaldeans are going to come in with an army like you've never seen before. They're going to capture you. They're going to knock down your fortresses. They're going to imprison people. They're going to wipe out your justice system that's so corrupt. They will take everything that you've made yourselves proud in and they will squash it. Ah, that's my plan. And Habakkuk's like, yeah, okay, I kind of wish you didn't have a plan now. That was not what I was hoping for. That'd be scary, right? I mean, it's, it's kind of funny and not funny, but ironic and like, this is, we're so arrogant. Like, you notice when all the hurricane stuff happens, everybody's like, well, clearly this could not be God punishing us. And, and let me be clear, I don't know if it is. I have no place to tell you why those happened. Maybe it was punishment. Maybe it was just warm fronts of air meeting different kinds of air and creating high pressure. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not God. I can't tell you why that happened. We 
can justify it all day long. We can try to tell you why we think it happened. We don't know because we're not him. But what is funny is when anybody suggests it could be punishment, all of America raises up and goes, not us. <laughs> You'd punish us? You'd punish these people? For what? For what? Have you forgotten your sin? See, there are two problems that happen when God wants to respond. There are two huge things that make it impossible for you and I to truly understand what He's trying to accomplish. The first is we're sinners. And you and I, we never actually want to fully admit that. Like, we're okay saying we're sinners and we needed a Savior. But I don't think anyone in this room is willing to say, no, I actually deserve to die. Amen. Do you know what I actually deserved? I deserve hell. Amen. If it were just a merit system, and this was just about Luke's deeds, what should he get? I should burn in hell forever. Do you believe that? Do you believe that about yourself? That if I were to line up everything you've ever done, and I were going to put your spiritual resume together, without Jesus, the verdict is, is you deserve hell. Because that's what the Bible teaches. Now there's a part of you that goes, well, I'm not that bad. Eternal damnation? Come on. I mean, maybe a slap on the wrist. You know, yeah, I've done some things, but not... Th I mean... There are much worse people. And here's the problem. We forget what we are. At the end of the day, it's not about the little actions you do every day. It's about the fact that you were created by a holy God to spend your eternity glorifying Him. And the reality is, most of us live our days as if we are our own gods. Day in and day out, how much of your thoughts, your time, and your energy is consumed by what do I want? We are almost continually in a state of rebellion against our God. Continually. We have tried to overthrow Him. He created us for a purpose and we said, no thank you, back off, get lost, I'm driving. And then what we want to go is like, that's not that big of a deal. And in fact, what makes it even worse is for us today, He so much loved us, He said, okay, you made that mistake, that's a big deal, but I love you. I'm going to send my son. I'm going to have him die for you. I'm going to have him pay the price for you. And I'm going to, through him, offer you the opportunity to get right with me again. And there's still some of us, after He sacrificed His son, go, get lost, loser. I don't want you. That's not small sin. You overthrew the king, you overthrew the creator, and when he made the most magnificent act of grace ever, you still told them, buzz off. And then you want to go, but I'm a good guy. We're not. We're not. And throughout all the scripture, we see this. Look at Romans chapter 3. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Not even one. God looks at the world and He goes, there are no good people. Zero. Zero. 
That's you. That's me. Notice there's no except for James. Except for Luke. Right? No. Not one. Not a few. Not one. Do you understand that about yourself? It's funny because nowadays we don't like to talk about this. We don't like to preach about sin anymore. Because it makes me feel bad. You know, I want a peppy sermon that makes me walk out and feel like life's great. Here's the problem with that. Life is fantastic. God's amazing. He's wonderful. He loves you. He empowers you. He forgives you. But you know how you get access to all that? Is by realizing this. Amen. So the problem nowadays is we want to jump to the fun part without acknowledging the thing that actually gets us access to all the goodness. All the goodness of God comes from us understanding that's me. That is me. Because it is only after I acknowledge that truth and I can still every day look in the mirror and go, that's me. That's still me. Only then do I find myself in the right place with God to every day be filled up by Him. Amen. To every day get that unbelievable love, grace, power, all those fruits of the Spirit that we talk about. All those things come from me believing that's true. And it's throughout all of Scripture. Isaiah 64.6 We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. What's, that, what's he saying? He's like, guys, even your best stuff is like soiled underwear. It's not that good. You get so proud about the things you think are great, but in the scheme of eternity, in the scheme of measuring them against perfection, we got nothing. We got nothing. It's like the other day, Ty wanted this Lego set that's like $100. Can you believe Legos even cost $100, right? But I love it because he's got no concept of money. So he's like, oh, wait. So he runs upstairs. He comes back to me with like $1.25 and change. And he's like, can we get it now? <laughs> Not even close. And the kid gets like two bucks a week if he does his chore. So he's like, how many weeks? I'm like, 50. He's like, how, what? How long is that? I'm like, your next birthday, you'll be six. He's like, that seems like a really long time from now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's us to infinity with our sin. We look at this sin day, and you and I run and go, look what I did. I gave to some Hurricane Harvey relief. And then I posted about it on Twitter and Facebook so everybody knew I did that because <laughs> it doesn't count if I don't tell people I did it. That counts, right? That wipes all that out. No, it doesn't. Not even close. Not even close. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is Paul in Ephesians. What's he saying? Even you guys. Even me. Even those who have been redeemed. Don't act like the moment the blood of Christ washes you clean, that that doesn't get rid of the nature of what you used to be. Don't ever stop looking in the mirror and realizing that's you. I think that's one of the dangerous things about church people. Is somehow we forget this. We act that like because of the, the, the fact that we're here and because we once acknowledged that we needed a Savior, that like now we're good. 
And trust me, you now have a power and a spirit and abilities you didn't have before because God is pouring into you. But that's still you. Don't ever forget that. It's like the alcoholic who's like, well, I'm just going to have one little drink. No, you should not. Don't care that it's been 15 years. Don't care that you think it's one little shot. You can't handle that. Amen. Know what you are. Amen. You may not have been drunk in 15 years, but you're still an alcoholic. Same goes for us as sinners. We may get to a place where we manage it pretty well. And a lot of people don't see it, and it's not sparking up day in and day out. But guess what? We're still sinners. Amen. So we don't flirt with it. We don't play with it. The problem is with this truth of us being sinners is, is when God says He's going to judge us, we go, me? Me? And there is way worse people you should be judging than me. And that's where Habakkuk's at. Habakkuk's like, we don't deserve to be destroyed. And what's funny is if you actually listen to what he said at the beginning of the chapter, it's all the justifications for why they should be. You guys are enveloped in sin. You embrace sin. You cherish sin. You promote sin. You love sin. You're proud of your sin. But then when God wants to punish you, you go, well, that's not fair. Yes, it is. We are sinners and we can never forget that. The second thing we forget is God is just. So not only are we sinners, but God himself is just. And here's the funny part. You and I are completely bipolar on whether we want God to be just. When somebody wrongs you, you're like, I want a just God. I want a God who's going to take care of this. I want a God who's going to make that right. The problem becomes is when we're the one who did something wrong, they're like, well, I mean, grace. <laughs> I need grace. That's what I want is a gracious God who forgives all this. The problem though is God is just. He does balance things. And we even see that in the most beautiful way through His Son, Jesus Christ. Think, God could have said, you know what, that debt you owe me, don't worry about it. Just wipe it off. Now granted, in doing that, He would have proved He's not perfect. He would have proved He messed up in the way He created the universe and the world. And He would have kind of broken the entire system. Instead, what He said is, no, I have said sin equals death. I've said for everything that you guys have done, death is required. I'm not going to betray the fact that I am a just God and that's still the way it needs to work. But what I will do is I will pay that death myself. Amen. That's awesome. That is a God not only loving and gracious, but just at the same time. And those two things colliding in a way that no man would have ever thought of. That's the beauty of God is that He's both those things. We get scared of this though because we know deep down in our hearts we're not always good people. So serving a just God is scary because sometimes we know that justice will be turned on us. Amen. Look at Exodus chapter 3. This is one of my, my, my favorite encounters between Moses and God. This is Moses at the burning bush. At the burning bush, Moses is kind of like, how am I going to get people to believe that I'm here from you? And, and when I go talk to them, who am I supposed to say sent me? God says this, he says, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name, what shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. The name Yahweh, the name of God, means 
the I am. Now, why is that so profound? It's so profound because if you look at any pagan cultures, what people have always created for God is they've limited him. This is Ares, the god of war. This is Apollo, the god of wisdom. This is the god of nature. This is the god of the sun. This is the god of the moon. We've divided their power into these small subsets. And we box them in, basically saying they can only act in this way. They are limited in their scope of power and ability. God shows up to Moses and goes, I am who I am. I can be whatever I want, whenever I want, any way I want. (laughs) Don't think you limit me. And in fact, it's funny because in the Old Testament, if you really read the Hebrew, often when God shows up, the only thing consistent is those words, I am. Because what he'll do often is he'll, pro, or he'll put attached to his name the adjective that describes how he's going to be. I am the Almighty. And he's about to display his power. I am the Gracious. He's about to show some grace. I am the Forgiving. He's about to show some forgiveness. I am the Loving, right? He will show these different aspects of who he is. But here's what gets hard for you and me. We don't like dynamic personalities. We like to box people up. Even think about your friends, right? You've got your serious friends who you go to when real things happen in your life. But then you've got the goofball friend who you'd never call if serious things happen, but you sure as heck call them if you're having a party. <coughs> right? And you've got the reliable friend that if you really need something to get done, you'll call them, but you sure as heck aren't going to call John because you know if you call John, there's no way he's showing up. <laughs> Not you, John. Love you, brother. <laughs> and we like to box people up. And when people jump out of their box, we get confused. Right? Like if the funny goofball all of a sudden makes like a really poignant, deep comment, everybody's like, where did that come from? Are you okay, man? Like, where'd you read that? Did you just come up with that yourself? We don't like that. We like people boxed in, acting the same way, day in, day out, always. God's crazy for us because he can be anything he wants to be. And so the hard part for us is there are absolutely going to be moments in your life where God will be the softest, most compassionate, most loving God ever. He'll be with this soft whisper that just envelopes you in warmth. And then there will be moments where you stand before God and you will be more scared than you've ever been in your entire life. And it's hard for us to reconcile those are the same God. But that's why He's God. See, the beauty of God being that is, is I know because he can be that, there's not a thing I can lay at his feet that will ever scare him. There's not a thing that I can ever bring him that he'll go, I I can't handle that. His point to Moses is, I can be whatever I need to be. And the part that you and I have to get comfortable often when we don't understand God's work is he's just. We are sinners. And He is a just God. That means sometimes we will experience punishment. We will experience correction. We will experience the pain that comes from being part of a broken world, a broken society, and a broken people. And that's hard. It's hard to deal with. Look at Isaiah 30:18. Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore He exalts Himself to show mercy to you, For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait on Him. 
Notice, in the same couple sentences, what's he saying? He is the gracious God. He will show you mercy. And He will show you justice. And that's why He tells you, be patient. Wait on Him. God has a plan to make it all right. You can't see that whole plan and you don't understand the phases or the steps of it. And so in some moments you will be sitting there going, where is He? In other moments you'll be going, why is He doing that? Well, His point is, is trust me, child. I know what I'm doing. In the end, it will all be made right. In the end, it will all be even. Trust me. It's a hard thing for us to take in. One of my favorite examples of this is in Amos. Amos is one of my favorite books because it's structured so beautifully. In the book of Amos, Amos is given the task to talk to the people of God about God's justice. And so how the book opens is awesome. He has all the gathering of the Israelites together and he starts to talk about, here is what God's going to do. And he starts talking about how God is going to punish all these countries around them for all the bad things they've done. And as he names each of these bad nations and how they're going to get punished, you can kind of imagine the people getting excited, like, yeah, that's what they deserve. Yeah, God, take care of them. Yeah, God, do that. Yeah, all right, thank goodness, right? It's like all these bad nations are getting tasked up, and it's like God's going to handle it. Then God goes, and then the worst punishment for you. Amen. It's like, wait a minute, what? I really like the opening of this speech. I'm not so excited about where it's turned. And so in Amos chapter 5, we see God turns his attention to his own people. He says, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light, as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. Or he went into his house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. It is not the day of the Lord, darkness and not light, and gloom with no brightness in it. I hate, I despise your feast. And I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs, the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. At this point, God's mad at his people not because they're not doing the right religious activity. He's mad because in the nation, what's happening is they are betraying their own people. They're using debt mechanisms and slavery to take a whole group of people and just treat them like possessions and animals. And so God's message to him is, do you think I'm stupid? You think because you, do, you go to church... You think because you sing your songs? You think because you do the burnt offerings that I don't see what you do all week long? You want to show up to me, praise my name, and say we love you, God, and then go out and take your brothers and sisters that I've given you, punish them, beat them, kill them. And I'm supposed to think everything's okay? I'm God. I see it all. Now let's be honest. That's a scary text because there's been moments in my life where I've been that. There's been moments in my life where Monday through Friday I have not been the man that I say I am on Sundays. And so when you know that, you know there's a God watching going, I see your games. You think I'm fooled because you sit in a church from 11 to 12 o'clock on Sunday? Well, 12.15, 12.30, 12.45? You think I'm fooled by that? I'm not fooled. I know your heart all day long. 
I know every action that you do, even the ones you think no one sees. And so here in Amos, what he says to them is, you guys say you want the day of the Lord to come. You do not. Because if the day of the Lord showed up now, you would not be experiencing loving grace from me. You'd feel my justice. And it's funny, because when I told you that justice was coming from your enemies, you were really excited about it. You were praising my name. You were saying how wonderful I am. The moment I turned it to you, you go, wait a second. This is us realizing we're servants He's got. This is us realizing we're sinners and He is the Almighty. This is us realizing His ways are very, very, very above our own. And because of that, we have no right to sit there and tell Him you're doing it wrong. Psalm 33.5 He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of His steadfast love. The point You can't separate these things with Him. The justice that scares you is directly tied to the love that you so adore and so want. He is one God and all these things come with Him. Look at Deuteronomy 16.20 Justice and only justice you shall follow, that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord your God has given you. This is where it gets real hard. You following God is more important than anything else. For us, that means it's more important than being Texans. It's more important than being Americans. It's more important than your family name. It's more important than being a father, a mother, a parent, a sibling, a spouse. It is more important than your race. It is more important than everything else. What you follow is not those cultural designations. You follow God. Always. To be honest, we don't do this well. Right? Well, I'm a white, Republican... Christian, right? Well, uh, father, so middle class, whatever you want to put yourself. Right? We put ourselves in these these boxes, and I'm going to do what's right for these. God goes, I don't care about those boxes. Are you a child of God or not? If you're a child of God, you do what I ask and you follow me. And I don't care about what anybody else asks you to do. I am just, I am loving, and I am good. And if I tell you to do it, it will be good for all those other things too. And in Habakkuk, what you see him actually being challenged with is him realizing at this moment it is more important that he is a child of God than that he is an Israelite. The Israelites deserve punishment. And that's why he will be punished. And as a child of God, he has to accept that. Man, talk about getting real, right? That you could sit there as a person and actually rejoice in God punishing your nation because you realize, well, for you, temporarily that hurts. Overarchingly, it is good. What a hard thing. What a hard thing for us to understand and to see. But the beauty is, is He doesn't ask you to do this blindly. Go back and look at the Old Testament. What do you see? You see regularly God pushing unbelievably harsh punishments across the nation of Israel. But what does it always lead to? A better and brighter future for them. Yes, temporarily pain and hurt come their way. But all of it leads to them actually being in a place where the Messiah can come and can offer them eternity. God goes, I'm playing a bigger game than you are. I'm playing a bigger game than you are. Have faith. 
Have faith in me. I'll leave this for next week. If you're going to do some reading this week, go read 2 Kings chapter 5. There's a wonderful story that talks about this kind of humility where sometimes our expectations actually are what are preventing us from getting God's blessing. God's ready to pour it out. But you and I have boxed in saying He must do it this way and because He's not doing it that way, we shut ourselves off from it. So if you go to 2 Kings, there's a great passage about a man named Naaman that talks about this mentality that we sometimes have. Next week, what we're going to dig into is, okay, so Habakkuk has cried out to God and said, please, God, listen. God goes, I'm listening. Got a plan. My plan is, is I'm going to send an army to wipe you guys out. Next week, we get to hear the response. We get to hear Habakkuk go, wait a minute, let's talk about this. That wasn't the plan I had in mind. It's an important thing for all of us because guess what, brothers and sisters? We will all have a moment spiritually where this happens to us. It's not to say that we'll all live through a day where our nation gets overtaken, but all of us will have a moment in our lives where we will look at God and go, I don't know why this is happening. He will tell you He is listening, and when He lays out the future steps, you're going to go, those are confusing to me. And that's where living by faith comes in. I'm going to ask each of you to go to God in prayer. Me and Brother Joe will be up here at the front. Brother James will be in the back. If you have something on your heart you need to pray about, feel free to come up with us. I also encourage you, some of you guys have played the church game for a while, but you don't actually have that relationship with God yet. That first thing we talked about, being real with Him, that hasn't happened. And so if you're sitting there today and you've yet to make that commitment to God of realizing He is God, you are a sinner, and that you need Him. I encourage you to have that, that conversation with God. If you don't feel comfortable coming up during this prayer time, always know you can reach out to us at any moment in time. And we'd be glad to talk with you and pray with you. Let's go.